0: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash It's Thursday, June 1st, 2023, and this is Markets Daily from Coindesk. I'm Adam B. Levine, here again with your Daily News Roundup. On today's show, we're talking Bitcoin, more debt ceiling drama, top headlines, and more. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Bitcoin, Ether, and other top tokens are down and markets trading mixed, but mostly lower traders of risk assets broadly though, are paying close attention to ongoing movement towards a multi-year suspension of the U.S. debt ceiling in a deal that has both Democrat and Republican members of the business-as-usual club declaring victory. The agreement passed the House last night with majority support and now heads to the Senate, where it's expected to pass as well, before being signed into law by U.S. President Joe Biden. You might think that with uncertainty around that threat default likely to soon be over that risk assets would be hopeful, but that's not exactly how things may work out. Once the suspension is signed into law, a few things are expected to happen. First, the U.S. Treasury will have to refill its almost completely depleted Treasury General account, also known as the TGA, which means selling some $500 billion worth of debt into the financial system, which means that we'll be extracting that much cash. Quote, This is likely to hit risk assets in particular, as they tend to be more sensitive to liquidity conditions than safer plays, such as bonds and many groups of equities. Macro analyst Noel Atchison said, continuing, The Treasury drawing down its account at the Fed was one of the tailwinds for the market earlier this year as money that would normally just sit there was put into the economy in the form of government expenditures, Atchison explained. She continued, Now the reverse is likely to happen. The government needs to replenish the account balance by issuing debt, which will draw liquidity out of the market and back into the Treasury's account, end quote. The refilling of that general account also will coincide with what is expected to be the Fed's continuing its quantitative tightening campaign, which basically means selling down assets that it stocked up on its balance sheet over the course of the last dozen years worth of financial crises. After finally starting to sell off those assets, they were briefly interrupted in March due to the most recent flare-up in the monetary policy-induced banking crisis of 2023. The whole point, of course, is to reduce its so-called bloated balance sheet, most recently, their propping up of firms as U.S. leaders move to shut down much of the economy in response to COVID-19. Macro analyst Lynn Alden called this a negative double whammy for liquidity in a market report, quote, "...the attractiveness of many large liquidity-driven equities is lackluster for the next few months and less and until we get more clarity on forward liquidity conditions," Alden said, continuing, "...this is an environment where an investor should know what they own, be prepared for volatility, and avoid excessive leverage," end quote. The debt ceiling resolution bill, if passed in its current form, will also contribute to the negative impact on liquidity, according to Tom Dunleavy, founder of Dunleavy Investment Research. Some key points of the deal, such as curbing the rate of increase of non-defense funding, clawing back some unspent portions of relief funds allocated during the pandemic, and resuming student loan payments after more than three years, will constrain the available money left for consumers to invest, he explained in a tweet, saying in part, liquidity is going to be very net negative, end quote. Today's crypto coverage comes courtesy of Coindesk's Markets Analysts. Bitcoin is currently trading at twenty six thousand nine hundred nine dollars per token. That's down about one percent over the last twenty four hours. While Ether is trading at one thousand eight hundred sixty two bucks per ETH. That's down about half a percent over the same time period, according to the CoinDesk Market Index. And speaking of the CoinDesk Market Index, we're looking at an absolute reading this morning of one thousand two hundred. That compares against yesterday's reading of one thousand two hundred six, and represents a half percent loss across top traded tokens on the day. Turning to traditional markets, in the U.S., major indexes were down, but only slightly. The Dow Jones Industrial Average saw the biggest drop, down four-tenths of a point, while the S&P 500 each fell by 0.2%. In Europe, the trend was the same, if a bit more mixed. London's FTSE 100 fell by more than half a point, while the regional stock 600 and Germany's DAX each slipped just barely below break-even. In Asia, China was very quiet, while Japan's Nikai 225 gained almost a point. In commodity markets, Brent crude, of course, that's the international benchmark for oil, fell by of a percent down to $72.32 per barrel. Gold, meanwhile, gained slightly, trading hands at $1,987 per troy ounce. And First Republic, our ongoing indicator of troubled regional banking sentiment, fell 3% since yesterday, currently priced at just above $0.26 per share. Today's traditional markets coverage draws from MarketWatch. Stay tuned for after the break, we're going to take a look at some top headlines. Welcome back. A recent study commissioned by lawmakers at the European Parliament says that crypto assets should be treated as securities by default and that autonomous organizations that govern decentralized finance or DeFi should be granted legal status. That report comes as the European Union finalized its markets in crypto assets or MICA regulation yesterday and considers whether additional rules will be needed to cover extra areas like DeFi staking and non-fungible tokens or NFTs. The report outlines that all crypto assets should be deemed a transferable security, implying they would fall under the EU's tough governance rules that apply to stocks and bonds, unless a regulator says otherwise. That default rule, quote, shifts the onus of gathering the technical facts and arguing the scope of regulation from regulators to industry, end quote. And we'll note also that it makes it very easy to bottleneck even things that really aren't securities. The findings of that report, by the way, don't represent a formal position of the European Parliament, but that document appears to be a response to this latest batch of rules, saying, quote, We are skeptical that MICA will have a positive short-term effect given the difficulties of enforcing its rules in an opaque cross-border context, end quote. With the law finally passed, EU agencies responsible for banking and securities markets must now set out the detailed rulemaking to put it into effect, and that's where things could really get tricky. But even before that, the European Systemic Risk Board, an EU panel responsible for monitoring financial stability risks, has called for further laws to pad what was left out of this batch. The story around EU crypto regulation is a continually developing one, but the EU has seemed determined to enact something that resembles a clear regulatory framework, which is in stark contrast to the SEC here in the US. And for better or worse, they've now done so. Coindesk's Jack Schickler reports. Elsewhere, stablecoin issuers Circle announced that they've ditched all U.S. Treasury bonds from their reserve backing of their top-dollar-picked stablecoin, known as USDC. That's likely a precautionary measure taken in advance out of concern that the U.S. debt ceiling deal wouldn't come together. At least for the moment, it looks like that precaution might not have been necessary, but hey, it's politics and anything goes. The Circle Reserve Fund, managed by financial giant BlackRock, held all of its $24 billion of assets under management in overnight repurchase agreements, known as REPOs, as of May 30th. That's according to the fund's website. And this is a significant change since the end of April, when the fund held more than $30 billion in U.S. Treasury bonds. The move from Circle is perhaps unsurprising, though, as following the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, the stablecoin experienced a crisis of confidence and lost market share, even though the reserve was quickly guaranteed by the bailing out of all depositors above that insurance limit which Circle's $3 billion most certainly were. Now, the firm seems extra sensitive to optics and dump treasuries which, right or wrong, have long been perceived as a good-as-cash asset, even though they're actually a form of debt which the government has to repay on an ongoing basis and has to continually borrow money to do so. Coindesk's Christian Sandor has more on this one. Meanwhile, U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren's aspirational anti-crypto army got a tingle after she cited the rampant use of cryptocurrency in the Chinese fentanyl trade during a Wednesday Senate hearing, arguing for legislation to help break that pipeline by, notably, crippling Bitcoin. A recent report revealed that more than 90 Chinese businesses which ship fentanyl precursors, which are basically chemicals that when combined together in the correct way can be used to produce the fatal drug, almost all of them accepted crypto in exchange. During a Senate hearing on Wednesday, an official from the U.S. Treasury offered during testimony that, quote, unfortunately, this is a mode that some of these precursor manufacturers and illicit drug organizations have used, the receipt of Bitcoin payments in cryptocurrency wallets, end quote. They later added that, quote, the reason why they would find this appealing is the same reason that other financial criminals would find it appealing, which is to say there's an element of pseudonymity that they seek, end quote. Senator Warren, a Democrat from Massachusetts herself, added that, quote, crypto is helping fund the fentanyl trade, and we have the power to shut that down. It's time, end quote. Of course, this is a fundamental misunderstanding of how crypto in the world works. Shutting down crypto payments in the United States would not stop the fentanyl trade. Of course, black markets predate the advent of Bitcoin, and incredibly, the fact that lawmakers point to that element of pseudonymity as a reason for why crypto should not be allowed is in fact the only reason that we know that crypto is being used to pay for fentanyl precursors in the first place, because crypto is transparent and traceable, in sharp contrast to the U.S. dollar. If the people who sell fentanyl precursors really wanted to fly under the radar, they would just use U.S. dollars, and unsurprisingly, they do. But that's not a narrative that feeds the need for an anti-crypto army. And so the beat goes on. Coindesk's Jesse Hamilton reports. And finally, developers of what's known as Jimbo's Protocol, what's described as an Arbitrum-based application, said Wednesday that they've opened up a case with the New York branch of the Department of Homeland Security to hopefully arrest the attacker who exploited the protocol for millions of dollars over the weekend. Quote, we warned you, we prefer giving you the bounty so we can focus on our protocol. Instead, we will deal with law enforcement to find you, the Jimbo's team wrote to the attacker on Twitter after giving them several days to return 90% of the stolen funds and keep 10% of their loot. Quote, the door remains open for the hacker to return the funds until they are arrested, at which point the offer will be rescinded, end quote. The recent move to work with the Department of Homeland Security comes just three days after Jimbo's faced a $7.5 million flash loan exploit which is to say that someone figured out a weakness in their protocol, took a bunch of money from it, and now they're pretty upset about that. This came just two weeks after the protocol's official launch date, and I think is a really good reminder that whenever you're looking at these new DeFi protocols, the assumption should be that they have flaws in them. And in fact, it's not a great idea to pour absolutely ridiculous amounts of money into them. But hey, I'm just a news guy. Y'all do what you want. The big question, of course, is will this work? And that is an excellent question. It's sort of amusing, so it's a story we'll be watching. Coindesk's Sage D Young has more on this one. And that's our show for today. Thank you very much for listening. Today's episode was edited by Ryan. And for those of you still with us, we'd love to hear what you think. You can send us an email at podcast at coindesk.com. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a new source and does not provide investment advice.